Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 39 of Revelation chapter 14, and we're continuing to look in verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon a cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now we have spent a good amount of time reviewing the word cloud in the Bible. We see that it relates to the commandments of God. It relates to the judgment of God. As God brings judgment through his word, the Bible. And he did that beginning with the churches and congregations. He opened up the scriptures to reveal. Judgment begins at the house of God to reveal the timeline for that judgment, the 23-year Great Tribulation period, and to reveal the appointed day of judgment for the world, May 21, 2011. And all that came forth from the Bible. And the Bible is a spiritual book, and as it brings forth truth, it brought forth the spiritual judgment on the church and then on the world. And we've been living in the day of judgment ever since that date of May 21, 2011. Now, here in Revelation 14, we're reading information that God is giving, the one who knows the end from the beginning is writing in his word nearly 2,000 years ago information that is perfectly describing events of our present day in the time of judgment for this world. And we see that Jesus uh, is sitting upon a white cloud. He is, um, of course, judge of all the earth and ruling over the unsaved inhabitants of the earth, and and to sit points to ruling. That's why it says that he has on his head a golden crown. Now, it is interesting that when we search the Bible concerning a golden crown, that we find corresponding information in the book of Esther. In Esther chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and Also, in other passages in that book, we find that Haman, the enemy of the Jews, is hanged on the 17th day of the second month. And we went through the book of Esther a couple years back and very carefully showed how God points to that particular day. And, of course, that's a very significant date. Because May 21 of 2011 had the underlying Hebrew calendar date of the 17th day of the second month, which is the date that Haman was hanged in the book of Esther. And that's also important because when God brought the flood in the days of Noah, the flood came on the 17th day of the second month. That's when God shut them into the ark 
and and the rain began to fall. Seven thousand years later, to the very day, or at least the equivalent of the very day, on May 21, 2011, which was the twenty um, third year of the Great Tribulation, it was the eighty four hundredth day itself, and it just happened to have, uh, some would have us to think, the underlying date of two seventeen, which matched precisely with the day the flood began 7,000 years earlier. And so that date of 217 points to the judgment of the flood. It points to the final judgment as judgment began on this earth on May 21, 2011. And Haman, the enemy of the Jews, who's a type and figure of Satan, is hanged on that day. And then we read, that uh, Esther petitions her husband, the king, for putting away the evil that Haman intended, as Haman had devised the plan to kill all the Jews. And of course, the Jews here would represent God's elect. And in the historical parable, the king, Ahasuerus, who, who reigned over 127 provinces, 127 points to all of God's people, uh, all of God's elect, uh, as Sarah died at the age of 127, and she is the mother of us all, the Bible says. Well, King Ahasuerus issued a decree permitting the Jews to fight back, to do battle with their enemies. And that's fitting and in keeping with what we have been learning at this time in the book of Jeremiah and elsewhere, that God commands his people to publish these things to fight against Babylon. And and that is um, further confirmed through the historical parable of the book of Esther, where after Haman is hanged, the law, the decree of the king is given that the Jews are permitted to fight back. They will kill their enemies. And it is in that context that we read in Esther 8 and verse 15, and Mordecai, and Mordecai is a type and figure of Christ, went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, and with a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple in the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Mordecai was given the house of Haman and was given rule over all that Haman previously had ruled over. And and again, we we have to see the connection that God is making. On Judgment Day, God put down Satan. He deposed him from all that rule that the Lord himself had given him within the church and the uh, greatly increased rule over the nations of the world as the world was uh, magnified and was multiplying iniquity and sin, which of course all sin actually pays homage to Satan. And God took away all of the official rule of the devil, of Satan, on that day And the Lord Jesus took over the house of Satan. 
the kingdoms of this world. Just as Mordecai took over the house of Haman. And God also issues the command to his people, publish these things, fight against Babylon, and so forth as we read in Jeremiah 50 and 51. And and that's why we see pictured here in Revelation 14, the Lord Jesus is sitting as a ruler, sits upon a throne, sitting on the cloud, pointing to the judgment coming forth from the word of God. He's like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, let's look at that phrase, in his hand a sharp sickle. We know the hand in the Bible typifies the will of the individual, or whosever hand it is. And here, it's God's hand. It's the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is eternal God. And therefore, it points to the will of Christ, or the will of God, that there will be a sharp sickle in God's will. Now, the sickle is a threshing instrument. It's an instrument of harvest. And and we've, uh, in other studies, looked at how God uses his people as an instrument to bring forth judgment. And he does that in a couple different ways. But, but at this point, we're not going to get into that. Uh, we want to look at the sharp sickle. And first of all, uh, the Greek word that's translated as sickle in this verse is used seven times in this chapter. In the following verses, verses 14 through 20, we're going to repeatedly uh, read of the sickle. And just for instance, in verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe, and, and so forth. It's going to be repeated again and again and again. Uh, tremendous emphasis on the sickle. And yet we wonder, what does the sickle represent? Well, the Greek word translated as sickle is found seven times here and only once in another place in Mark 4.29, but there it's also translated as sickle. So that um, it, it doesn't help us too much in trying to define spiritually what the sickle is pointing to. We know it's an instrument for harvest, for threshing and so forth, and and for gathering the crop. But we want the Bible to help us. Well, we're, we're not given too much help in the New Testament Greek, but in the Old Testament, we find a passage in the book of Joel. And I'm going to read it. And I think uh, if you read Joel 3, verses 12 through 15 or 16... And, and then read Revelation 14, 14 through 20. You'll see how very similar they are. They're very closely related. And uh, let me just read a few verses here in Joel 3, in verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Now, notice that it says, and God is, is speaking, I will sit to judge. And in our verse in Revelation 14, 14, 
the Son of Man is sitting upon a cloud, and he's he's judging the nations, just as it says here. I, there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about, and the word heathen could be translated as nations. And then it says in verse thirteen, "Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full." The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Now the word decision here is translated in other places as threshing. And, and so multitudes, multitudes in the valley of threshing, for the day of Jehovah is near in the valley of threshing. So again, these verses have everything to do with harvest, just as in Revelation 14. And then in verse 15 of Joel 3, it says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And there is the clue verse, or the key phrase, where God locks in the time period he's focused on or speaking of, and we recognize the language. We see it uh, again and again in passages dealing with Judgment Day, the day of the Lord, the end of the world. And in Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon will not give her light and the stars shall fall. And, and here we see uh, God is speaking of judging the nations and, and he's... Uh, is using the language of putting in the sickle because the harvest is ripe and and the fats overflow and the fats are the wine press which compares well with Revelation 14:20 the blood comes out of the wine press it overflows and goes forth for the space of 1600 furlongs it, there is tremendous identification with Joel 3 and Revelation 14.20, and in addition, God is locking in when it's taking place immediately after the tribulation by tying the language of harvest together with verse 15, the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And that means we're correct. Yes, we have a proper understanding once the tribulation concludes, then begins judgment day or harvest. And uh, just as Mark 4.29 says, when the fruit is brought forth, immediately the sickle is put in. So you can see that when we're reading Revelation 14 and we're saying this is happening May 21 and the days after, the days after the tribulation... Joel 3 gives support for that conclusion. We're not just drawing that out of thin air. We're not pulling it out of a hat. But but Joel 3 is making that tie-in with Matthew 24, 29. And May 21, 2011 was the end of the Great Tribulations, 23 years. And it began, it was the transition day of the time after, immediately after the tribulation, the sun is darkened. And Joel 3 and other places confirm or tell us that when the sun is darkened, when we see that kind of language, 
you can understand it's speaking of judgment day. It's speaking of harvest. Well, anyway, here in Joel 3, verse 13, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Now, back in Revelation 14, again, um, in his hand, the Lord had a sharp sickle, and in verse 15, another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle, and reap. And in Revelation 14:15, the Greek word translated as thrust, is overwhelmingly translated as send. Send in thy sickle and reap. And Lord willing, we'll talk about that in a future study, the uh, great significance of that. And likewise, in Joel 3, where it says, put ye in the sickle, well, the the Hebrew word translated as put in is a word that's also translated send in the Old Testament. And, and so we can clearly, clearly see how God is using very similar language in these two passages. Well, uh, what about this word sickle? Put ye in the sickle. In the New Testament, the word sickle was only translated as sickle, and it's helpful when a Greek word is translated as two or three or four or five English words, then we see how the other words are used in their context, and we can develop a greater understanding of that word, uh, a better definition of it. But it's not the case when the word is always translated as one English word. Well, it's the same thing in the Old Testament with this word. The Hebrew word here is Strong's number 4038, and it's always translated as sickle. And, well, you're probably wondering, well, why did we come here then? It's also not providing any help. Well, yes, but, however, in the Hebrew, uh, the consonants were given by God. That is, if you look in a, a Hebrew Bible, if you have an interlinear, and you, you look at the Hebrew text, when you see the consonants, uh, for instance, the word for sickle is made up of mem, gimel, and lamed. Those are the consonants. And if you want to know what those letters look like, go to Psalm 119. Remember how God uh, wonderfully wrote that psalm with um, each a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and, and our Bibles very uh, helpfully uh, give us that letter. Well, those are the three letters, Mem, Gimel, and Lamed, which make up 4038. And then there's vowels, and uh, it's called vowel pointing, that were added at a later time. And yet God did not give the vowel pointing. It was the Jewish people that added the vowels to the consonants that God gave. And that means when we see a word that has the same consonants, and in this case we find 4039 and 4040 in Strong's Concordance have the same consonants as 4038, but they have different vowel pointing. Yet, we can understand that there is a relationship 
at least a relationship and maybe a much closer relationship than we might think between those words. Now, 4039 and 4040 have Mem, Gimel, Lamed, and they also have a Hey ending. Hey is like the uh, Hebrew H sound, and that ending is often added to the ending of Hebrew words. So, so that doesn't change the importance of having those three consonants the same. Well, anyway, when we look up 40, 39, and 40, 40, we, we find it's translated as roll. Roll, and in one case is volume. In Jeremiah 36, Jeremiah 36, the Lord goes into detail describing how he wrote the Bible in uh, showing the way that he brought divine revelation to Jeremiah and Barak, who was Jeremiah's scribe, would write it down on a roll. And I'm going to read uh, from verse 1 through 6 of Jeremiah chapter 36. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from Jehovah, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations, from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Barak the son of Neriah, and Barak wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of Jehovah, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. And Jeremiah commanded Barak, saying, I am shut up, I cannot go into the house of Jehovah. Therefore go thou and read in the roll, which thou hast written from my mouth, the words of Jehovah in the ears of the people in Jehovah's house upon the fasting day, and also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. And and it goes on. It's a very interesting chapter where finally the words of Jeremiah written on the roll of a book are brought before the king of Judah and he cuts them with a penknife and burns them in the fire and then God says again to Jeremiah I will give you a new role and and they just rewrite exactly what God had said before and it it illustrates how God brought divine revelation to his prophets as he moved in them to record his word and why all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It really is a, a great passage showing forth how the Bible was written. And the role that the word of God was written on represents the Bible, the word of God. And that word translated as role many times in Jeremiah 36 is the word that's closely related to sickle, as it has the same consonants. Again, the vowel pointing is different, but the more important thing is the consonants. It has those three consonants, which shows a relationship. And, of course, when we think about it, it is God using his word 
to accomplish his harvest, to bring judgment, to gather his people, to cast out uh, the tares into the fire. It's all occurring through the word of God. So the the word of God is like a sickle. Not just a sickle, but a sharp sickle. We read in Revelation 14, 14. And when we look up the word sharp, what do we find? But that it is often used with the idea of a sword. In Revelation 1.16, it says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And in Revelation 2.12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things saith he, which has the sharp sword with two edges. And again in Revelation 19, in verse 15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And the sharp sword, of course, is describing the word of God. As Hebrews 4 gives us that definition, um, that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And 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 so this word sharp is used often to describe the sharp two-edged sword which points to the word of God. But here, it's not a sharp two-edged sword, but it's a sharp sickle or a sharp roll that points to the word of God. And, you know, uh, it was interesting, um, a friend mentioned to me recently, uh, he, he pointed out that a sickle has only one side. And we're used to seeing that picture sort of like the half moon with the handle. And you uh, put it to uh, the fruit or you put it to whatever it is you're gathering. And, and it cuts. It, it, it's not a two-edged sickle, but it cuts one way. And I think that is what God is indicating here. Uh, He doesn't say in his hand is a sharp two-edged sword to reap with, but it is a sharp sickle because the word of God traditionally, uh, historically has cut to judgment and cut to salvation. It it has uh, brought grace and mercy and salvation and has brought condemnation and wrath to the wicked. But in this case, in the time of judgment, it only cuts one way. None will hear and become saved. None will uh, experience grace or mercy. It, it is only the wrath of God that is coming down upon the nations of the world. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.